your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan following Everton's 1-0 victory against Fleetwood Town in the second round of the Carabao, or as Ryan likes to call it, the Caribou Cup. It was uh, not the most eventful match. We will, of course, get into all of it. But before we do, a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to find our links to social media, you can do so in the description or go to linktr.ee slash USA Toffee Pod. And if you're not already in our Discord, definitely join our Discord. Great Everton community going all the time. A lot of good conversation. Invite.gg slash ATP. Check it out. Without further ado, Ryan, let's get into instant reactions. We're moving on to the third round. For the, I think the announcer said on the broadcast, the 21st consecutive year, something like that. Is that true? Feels probably true. Feels like this is always a, a, a easy win for us, but I don't know. Don't what? don't fact check me, folks. I'm, I'll blame the ESPN Plus announcers. You just your caribou comment now is in my head because now I'm thinking. <laughs> of, now I'm thinking the Elton John album, and I'm like, is that a good album or not? I'm not sure. You know, the bitch is focus song, and don't let the sun go down on me is a solid tune too. But like classic. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. Would you sing a little for the folks? Out no. There? Um, <laughs> but I mean, I my personal favorite album of his is Madman Across the Water, though. That's just my personal opinion. What do I know? Um. Yeah, instant reactions. Let's do it. Uh, so Steve Stupka, our man. I love Steve. He's a good man. Uh, I liked his. I, I took his. Um, a singing group in the 50s called the Fleetwoods recorded a song called Mr. Blue that had more life than the match. But OK, as Ronald Koeman would say, we move on. That's football. That's football, folks. <laughs> that's easy. But that's football. that's football. But that's football. I also uh, went with another reaction from James Gardner, regular contributor at J.R. Gardner 91. We did enough to advance. Nowhere near as comfortable as it should have been. Just couldn't seem to get anything going. Probably had to do with the fact that they deserved probably five times as many cards as they were actually shown. That is certainly going to be a theme of this episode. Complaining about the referee. But before we get into that, before we complain, we have to celebrate because we had three correct score predictions from our Discord. A. Manhanya, Matt Clevy, rhymes with Chevy, and Paul P. A.K.A. Double underscore P underscore 08. So cautiously optimistic for the win and they were rewarded for their efforts now let's get into the lineups ryan starting with the home side fleetwood town a little bit of a weaker side for them today and uh it showed i suppose now i'm thinking of fleetwood mac like what is going on tonight can you um, focus please God. well it's hard to because this match was so it was pretty dull um all right, Fleetwood Town are 14th in League One, and they haven't scored in two matches. Several of their starters were indeed on the bench. I think Vera Lynch, Nasala, Batty. Uh, some of these guys came in. Uh, Rooney and Andrew are the starters, though. Those are the fullbacks, and they were both very active. Um, That's one way to say it. That is one way to say it. Uh, one thing we did note before the match was that Fleetwood Town are first in League One by quite a bit in what we call challenge intensity on Y Scout, and that is duels, tackles, and interceptions per minute of opponent possessions. Does that surprise you, James? Not based on what I saw today. Now I'm guessing it's probably mostly just tackles. If I had to go off today's evidence, <laughs> no, they do not, they do not lead uh league one in tackles. Um, but I, I, it's probably not for lack of trying Uh last match out Darby outshot them 19 to four. Uh, it was a zero, zero draw. Of course, sounded riveting. They did have 13 fouls and Sean Rooney, the six foot three Scott had four of them. 
Does that also surprise you? No, he in, was absolutely infuriating for the duration of time he was on the pitch, which was not the entire time. But let's talk about Everton, Ryan. Obviously, a early cup tie is an opportunity to rotate the squad, get some fresh legs in there, give some guys some minutes that are building up to full fitness. Uh, one of those players being Tom Davies, who's obviously still kind of in some ways working his back from working his way back from the injury last season, regrettably injured in the warmup, which I was saying to you off air feels like we must lead like the top five European leagues and players in the last few years who have been injured in the warmup. I feel like it's a coin toss every week, whether we're even going to be able to go with the lineup we selected an hour prior because all guys are somehow, what are we doing in warmups that guys are getting hurt? Uh, but hopefully it's not a long-term thing for him. But as a result of Davies dropping out, we had Damari Gray come in, Awobi, who seemed like he was pretty much guaranteed to be slotted in at the wing, preferably left wing, then has to revert back to the midfield position, which he's occupied for most of this season so far, which, you know, not the end of the world, but I was actually really excited to see what uh, impact he could have further up the pitch. Ended up being a 3-4-3. We got McNeil on the right, Gray on the left, Solomon Rondon leading the line up top. We saw Vinagre in for Mikolenko. Reese Welch gets a start. Michael Keane gets a start. Seamus Coleman back. And, uh, of course, Asmir Begovic in between the posts for his first appearance of the season. So, as I said, some interesting rotation. And, of course, Onana getting a start as well, which was uh, good to see. And invaluable minutes for him, most certainly. And uh, tactically, the setup is nothing particular new that we've seen. Um I think the challenge with the Wobie and Onana in there is that without the ball, the, the back line was could be exposed. You know, they tend to flow a little bit sometimes towards the ball or get cut up field a little bit. And that kind of leaves people running at the back line. Saw it a couple times. It seemed pretty obvious they were going at Welsh. We'll get to that in a second. Um, there were some signs of patience. Uh, there wasn't quite as much hoofball. There were long passes, but it was normally done when there was someone open and big switches when. Fleetwood Town would would all kind of fly at the ball. They were pretty compact, I think, at times. Um, I think there was a lack of chemistry up top, and I think that's something to be expected. You know, if you want to play fluid football, it's hard when guys have not really played together. I think the intent was there to do that, and I think Rondon complicates that a little bit. Um, I thought the spacing was okay. I mean, I thought we used the width of the pitch a bit. Um, Vinagre probably did a little more effective job than Mikalinko has done, kind of tried to exploit that wide space, but then he leaves a little bit of exposure behind him at Welsh, and, and that was pretty common. Um, we'll talk about their fouling. Some of it was flat-out tactical. It made it really hard for wingbacks to get up the pitch. Um, I think the last observation is you could tell that we were, a lot of the action was down our left side, their right side. So they were trying to exploit the space behind Vinagre and go after Welsh. And Welsh did okay defensively. I mean, you could tell he's a little heavy-footed and his distribution is not not greatest. But Awobi being caught up field a little bit, maybe not being the most. I mean, he's not really defensive mid. I think maybe created a couple opportunities for them to exploit. They never really did. The shots were weird, James. Like, there was no real clear-cut chance. I mean, Gray was very patient on the one he took. We only had two shots on target. They had four. It was really the goal in Patterson. We blasted it right at the keeper, which I think that's probably the overall most disappointing thing about it. But um, I mean, what can you say? It just wasn't a very fluid match, right? No, certainly not. And, you know, going in these sorts of matches, you you kind of hope that players can afford to 
you're afforded the opportunity to take more risks than you would in a Premier League match, obviously. And so I agree with your point on the spacing. And we we definitely tried a lot of passes and we had really high pass percentage. So that's fine. And, and good to see Frank using this as an opportunity to instill the philosophy he wants to play. But you have to take the opposition into account. They were more than willing to let us pass the ball around, even though they did pressure at times. And they, of course, are going to be intense off the ball, but they're not naive enough to just, you know, go full bore at us for 90 minutes and hope that that's going to lead to any positive result for them. So I was I was pleased with Vinagre overall. Um, the, the midfield, too, I still think was a little tricky and they did catch us out a couple times and exposed us. But yeah, nothing really threatening. It was just a very very boring match overall, unfortunately. Um, and, and of course, we'll get into the goal and the timeline in just a second. But, you know, we we struggled to create anything meaningful and anything we did. I think we were a, a, a bit wasteful. I don't know how good our back line really was either. Um, they did fine, but looked shaky at times. I don't know. You know, I just don't think Fleetwood Town are particularly great and super dangerous. And I think on another day, maybe we get beat. But we know the squad's a little bit in flux. And I think we just got to accept that for right now. Hopefully that's solved at least somewhat before the weekend so all right before we get in the timeline let's take a little break and hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back to you okay james let's get back into the match uh look the first 16 minutes we looked fine you know it wasn't fluid it wasn't perfect but we kept the ball we had almost i think we're at 69 percent possession after 16 minutes and we've seen that this year like we started out pretty well at times um, I mean, look, we had, we didn't foul them. They had two fouls. We had dispossessed three times and, and that was really all they had. I mean, we kind of dominated the ball. We had some chances, uh, Ron missed across from Vinagre, which just seemed like he should have buried, or it's almost like he jumped backwards that someone said he like went and like almost went into the ground when he jumped. It was very strange. Yes. Maybe he could have had a little better delivery, but you could just see we weren't quite in sync. I mean, Ron was making near post runs and the ball would go wide and it's just kind of how it was. Um, they started to grow into the game a little bit, you know, uh, mostly kicking us. And eventually, um, I mean, I thought our goal was very well taken. Yeah, it's, it's the Rondon thing. Like this man has like a negative vertical jump. How is that even possible? But uh, yeah, that was probably the most significant chance until the 28th minute when we took the lead, which would obviously be for good one nil. It was a nice sequence of play, but you've, you've got to mention the fact that Fleetwood basically gifted McNeil the ball with a horrible pass trying to play it out of the back. You know, thank you very much. But it goes to McNeil. Flips it to Awobi. Awobi does a nice little stutter step, hits him with the hesitation, lays it off to Damari Gray, who scores his second in as many games. It's a good finish. Nothing spectacular about it. Expect him to be able to finish from there, but Awobi gets an assist. Gray gets another goal. And really, Fleetwood, I think, had a little bit of a response after that, but nothing substantial and nothing that ever really made us feel like we were ever in jeopardy of not escaping with the win. No, I mean, look, you know, they had a little more possession than we did the rest of the half. They even outshot us four to one. And I, yeah, not super dangerous. I will say this, though. They had kind of that sequence at the end of the first half where they had two shots where I was thinking, come on, guys, tighten it up a little right. bit. Um, but I love the one stat at halftime, probably my favorite stat, James, though, which is um, the foul count. Yes. Eight fouls for Fleetwood Town, zero for Everton. So very disciplined from the Toffees, but also just reckless in every sense from Fleetwood town. They were hacking Onana got a couple in the first half and he would continue to attract a lot of attention throughout the second half, but they were not playing nice to say the least. 
No, but the one thing that I did like about the team, say whatever you want, um, it just doesn't ha- happen that often with Everton. We did a decent job of keeping possession at times in the second half. I mean, sometimes it was it wasn't crisp, it wasn't perfect. Sometimes the conditions aren't great either. You know, it was League One. It's you know a smaller stadium, and you know. But look, you know, we had sixty percent possession the second half. We outshot them nine to four. Uh, we also pressured a little bit more, I think, to kind of see it out, and we even out tackled them technically. So, um, really, although it would have been nice to get a second or a third. Uh, our first goal showed good composure, which we hadn't seen that a lot in the box. Our issue this time wasn't the composure in the box. It was the transitional play. And yeah. a lot of it was Rondon, really, to be perfectly honest. It's just it's a tough gig for him. We'll get into him a little bit more later when we talk about individual performances. But look, let's be honest, James. The story of this match was pretty obvious. Yeah. And a number of people pointed it out in their reactions to our tweet it was the fouls, folks. It was the refereeing, which we'll discuss the ref in, in specificity in just a minute. It was like the, the, 15, the certain fouls were ridiculous, though, you know? There were some, as you said on, on Twitter, some hockey-esque fouls that went completely unpunished. And it finished 15-3 to three, uh, fouls for Fleetwood Town compared to Everton. So we didn't really have to do a whole lot, partially because we had the ball most of the time. But they were not really able to... to uh, fairly dispossess us and so they elected to just kind of hack us at every opportunity and then just to break up play and yeah, and it, and it yeah. did i think that actually ryan you know probably impacted our ability to flow even more than maybe the chemistry between players is when the, the game is so stop start all the time uh it really prevents guys from getting into a rhythm yeah and i mean it, it prevented us from really pressuring them and being organized at times too and getting them disorganized of course you know they foul they get set up away you go um I think that's true. I, I think the most important fouling that they did was attacking our wingbacks. I mean, the hip check into the boards, which was not crazy, not a yellow. Crazy, man. How's I mean, literally, it's a hip check. I mean, he goes by him. He puts him into the advertisements. I, how is that not? a? I mean, do you think just, you're faking and diving into the advertisements? Are you kidding? It, I saw the replay. It looked like he shoved him two hands in the back, but maybe it was a hip check. Either way, the ref can't have seen it because yeah, it was a shove. You know, when the guys are out of bounds, like there's. That's a card straight up. You're not, it's not even a tactical foul. There's no excuse. It's just a dirty play. Not the guys can get really hurt. It's really slippery over there on most, most pitches. Yeah. And he ate it. And the, and the thing is what it did is it did have a tactical benefit too, because we had pace outside. There was no way Rooney was going to be able to keep up with, with Ruben. So when he's dashing, trying to get around him, it's fun to say, isn't it? When he's trying to dash around him, he's just blasting him. Patterson, the same thing. Patterson was smoking Andrew. And Andrew would just knock him over. I mean, how the heck is that proper defense? And and a couple times they called it, but it stopped the attack. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's almost like in the NFL, like in special teams, when guys are running out of bounds to get away from blockers, which you're not allowed to do on purpose, you know, then you're ineligible to make a play. Right. That's what it looked like at times. And it was, I mean, downright strange to do that. And I, I just think it was very obvious that the referee had lost control of the match. And I don't know what Onana did to deserve some of the stuff he got. They didn't even call all of it on him. Uh, the one time where he literally got forearmed to the face, basically, they didn't call that one. But look, out of the 15 fouls, seven of them were on Onana. Like, and the stomp, the stomp where he rolled his ankle, no card. No card, yeah. You And it was very clear that they were intent on preventing him from driving forward with the ball, preventing him from getting into any sort of level of comfort in the match and i was just terrified and we have some comments pointing it out but i was scared for onana every time he got fouled he just looks he's so lanky 
he's strong, obviously, but lanky and guys with the uh, long limbs like that. I just get very nervous every time they fall over because I feel like they're very fragile, even if that's not always the truth. I mean, I guess we should expect nothing less from a Scott Brown coach side, I guess. I mean, he's always right. been very cantankerous. And it's funny how many guys like that end up being coaches. I, I, to use another hockey metaphor, it's like how many goons end up being coaches or working like NHL front offices? Well, what? that's what these that's what these guys and that's what you, that's what that's the bread and butter of the lower divisions, right? You just crack some skulls and uh, pick up some points along the way. Yeah, it's it's just a shame. I thought it was a bit disgraceful at times. And look, the referee tried to step in and, and throw a couple of yellows at the end of the first half because it was getting a little out of hand. Um, don't think it really worked, frankly. But look, you know, they 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 never really really threatened too much anyway. And I think once we scored, I, I had a bad feeling it would go all the way down to one nil. Uh, would have been a terrible outcome had they managed to sneak one through, but maybe we just thought our work was done. And look, some of these guys got to be tired. I mean, we played not too long ago. They played, uh, you know, subs. We did too, but you know, eventually you made some subs and made some changes too to shore things up. And I think that probably helped. Um, Tark in particular being subbed in for Welsh, I think made a big difference. Uh, we'll talk about some of the young kids. And so let's talk about some of the individual performances, James. I mean, I thought, you know, my good is not who you would think, because I'm going to leave that to you, uh, <laughs> despite wearing his kit right now. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about a because it still frustrates me. Some of the social media responses, but let's talk about Begovich. And let me tell you why, because we've been on Pickford for his hoofballs all the time. And yes, yes, he set up the goal. And it's not that Jordan Pickford does not have a good skill in the long ball. It's just doing it unnecessarily when it's not open is a problem. Now, today, our team. 87% pass success. Again, it's Fleetwood Town. I know there's more time and space. Begovich was 96%. He was 24-25 in passes, 7 for 8 in long balls. So we didn't just hand them the ball. We actually kept it. Not to mention he made four saves. I mean, nothing too terribly tough, but he was solid. He was sound. You know, he's a big presence back there. He does well off corners and whatnot. And he was dealing with the kind of patchwork defensive line. And he was confident. It's nice to see that from a backup guy stepping up and playing that way. Now, I don't know if that increases Manchester United's interest, but which I just I, that rumor is crazy. It's just where did it. that come from? But I, to be I fair, I mean, he you could do a lot worse as a backup keeper. And I, I was pleased with Begovic's performance today as well. Like to come out of the cold, to step in and just be solid. He's a pro. That's right. He's a pro's pro. He is. He's, he's Canadian. A, so he, that's right. He's, a he's, he's one of the North American toffees like like us. He is a bit, um, but yeah, and he's yet he qualifies as English homegrown. Uh, it's a little confusing to me, but I think he does. But honestly, that's what you want in your backup keeper. I mean, if you get a decent English backup keeper, that's perfect because now you know yeah. you can buy all the international guys if you want. That doesn't seem to be a problem with Frank, but anyway. So James, I will leave you to the. Well, you already spoiled it again, Ryan. But I I'm think sorry. anyone who watched that game for even surprise even fits and starts would uh, agree that Alex Awobi had another excellent performance today. Uh, we had a duh next to his name in the document. Four key passes and got the assist, of course, for McNeil. Eight for ten on long balls. Three for four in dribbles. One for one in crosses. And three successful tackles in midfield, which was tied for the lead, I think, with Onana. Uh, I mean, just the, the dude, is his stock is on a meteoric rise among Evertonians and something that we've known for a long time. I think he probably could have doubled his key passes if he had been in that left wing role today, but the long balls is really great to see. I mean, he had some really nice diagonal passes, some vision, finding the, the wing backs overlapping into space, finding gray on a couple of occasions. He just oozes confidence right now. And, and even though he 
certainly isn't the ideal profile, at least without the ball for a midfielder. He works his tail off and it shows. I mean, the fact that he went another 90 minutes today, the guy is a machine and uh, deserves all of the credit and praise that he's been getting as of late. Yeah. Hugh Marshall at Hugh Mar. Awobi is ace. I like can that. I, can I just say, I, I've never seen Hugh spelled this way, but it, phonetically it's H-U-W. It's pretty common, actually. So yeah, much Welsh I, I don't and know. some other places. Yeah. Yeah, it's Wales much better than the GH, if you ask me. Sorry to any Hugh GHs out there. I apologize. No, no, no. But. Hugh. Uh, yeah, um, it, that's tip. What, I mean, honestly, there are some towns and some names in, in Wales that you, you oh, just yeah. can't pronounce. Some of no. them are intentional that way. I was, I'm convinced. Um, the only. OK, so I do have a little bit of bone to pick about social media right now and Alex Awobi. And it's this whole that like Alex Awobi has improved so much and Under he's Frank. just he's playing. Well, yeah, some of it's like, oh, Frank's really improving a which I just fundamentally don't. I mean, you put players in good position to succeed and there are some mental aspects of football. I'm not going to totally say that there's not. But I think what disappoints me the most is that so many Evertonians have written him off to this point because they didn't recognize the type of player he was before. I actually think he was still better and more effective at Arsenal. And I think his best attributes are creation from open play closer to goal, creating scoring chances and getting assists and, and goals. And ultimately, I think that's what makes him special. Not that he isn't a good passer. It's not that he can't carry the ball forward. I mean, he's what, like top five in the league in terms of passes to the final third. But again, we've talked about that. It keeps him far away from goal. It's not a coincidence that the one time Alex got into the box is when we created the clear cut goal chance because he's sturdy on the ball. He's strong on it. He finds the open guy. He missed some passes in the second half. But yeah, I mean, the problem is he's just so undroppable right now. God forbid he actually were to got hurt tonight with all the kicking, but um, Ryan knocked on wood. Just, just, I did, I did, I did. But anyway, the the point being is that yes, he's playing really well, but I think we need to score goals. And I think him moving upward, we've talked about it a couple of times. So, all right, let's talk about maybe the, the less than good performances. Um, Solomon Rondon is the one that I, I brought up a couple of times. Now, I, I think we have been pretty consistent on the pod saying that Rondon as a cheap backup option in a particular tactic, uh, favored by our former coach made some sense. I don't think we ever declared that he was going to be amazing, but we always said that like, look, we had no budget last summer. He's cheap. He can do some of the things required in that particular tactic. And look like he fits in this tactic very well. Does he James? No, he does not. I mean, he lost the ball seven times today and in a position where you're looking, like you said, for a guy to, to drop deeper, he can play, if we're committing to hoofball, he can have some utility in that system. He's a big body, he can hold guys off, but definitely not suited for a possession-based style of play, and he's never really had success at any team that's done that. Offsides a couple of times that were, one was so bad, like he was at least like three or four yards offside. A couple of shots, but can't even get on the end of crosses, can't really, isn't really winning many aerials. It just doesn't seem like it's going to work out, and he was, you know, he was a... a Olive Branch, to some extent, to our our former manager, who we won't name, you know, a guy that is one of his soldiers who's got a lot of experience with Frank now just playing him out of pure necessity because there's really no one else that can realistically fit in. Um, And and that's why you have the people crying out for let's get some business done. Let's get another striker in who can do the things that Frank is looking for from as his number nines. Yeah, look, if we eventually get numbers at the striker position, he probably should go somewhere because it's just not going to make sense for him. And I I don't think up to this point, it's really been that much him. Really? I think he's been fine. I don't even think he was that bad this weekend. Um, Clearly, he was fit to play beyond 57 minutes, though. 
So can we dispel that ridiculous rumor? Frank doesn't think he's fit to play 57. He was playing like 75 and 85 with Venezuela in June. Like, what are you talking about? So it wasn't a fitness issue. It was a tactical choice by him, unless he was thinking, well, I don't have a striker, so I need to play one in the cup match. I mean, I don't yeah, think but can he do it. Can he do it on a, oh, on a rainy Tuesday night at Highbury? He can do it in the sweltering heat of Venezuela. Like, can he do it? Cold, cold stoke, rainy oh, night. Shoot me in the head. Why do you do this? We're an American <laughs> podcast. We don't have to t- say those things. Um, so uh, MVP at Philadi, uh, I think was right. I mean, I, I think his, I threw his quote in here because I think it was good. We are turbo bleep in attack. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's okay. I'm not even sure Connor Gallagher could turn us around. I don't think he's the savior anyway, but I mean, yeah, he maybe could help in terms of energy, but I think this is what I really like. It's so obvious that Rondon is not fit for purpose. Yes. He gets the occasional header and has hold up play potential, but it's two steps too slow and rarely where he needs to be broken record now, but he's right. He's just not fit for purpose. And, and Frank, it's funny because we got linked to Zhao Pedro. And if you've ever seen him play, he's almost playing as a 10 for Watford, but the fluidity in which he plays, he comes back between lines. He takes it, he moves it, then he runs and he's constantly in motion and finding space in different parts of the pitch. Whereas Rondon's typically going to occupy a center half or two, ideally two today. He really didn't. He occupied one. And he didn't get bullied because they were letting him basically jump in his back. So it it didn't help us. You know, it didn't take one guy away. It really didn't do much of anything. And there are even times on the break you could see it. Like a Wobie played him, you know, one point he missed a Wobie in a terrible pass. Another time he ran around the corner, he just couldn't get to a ball. And it just, it's not, he's not going to be good in this type of setup. So hopefully we can get some business done, get someone in here who is somewhat fit for purpose, to quote Phil. Um, And look, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, the viewpoint is that it's not a massive long-term injury. So uh, hopefully he'll be back sooner than rather than later. We also don't want to rush him back and jeopardize the entire season. Hopefully we make a move. Jao Pater would be unbelievable. He still has tremendous ceiling, but he's the type of player that can play anywhere on the front line as well. So that would be awesome if we could get someone that when Dom came back still had utility in some other other roles. Right, right. Um, But I got to admit, I mean, if if... The Gordon deal goes through and Amanda Broha comes. I'm not going to be upset about that at all. I really like him. He's a very clever player. Yeah, me too. I mean, I agree with you, Ryan. I think really right now we do just need a couple, I mean, midfield, but the utility is a a key factor for our recruits. Now, for the short term, we definitely need someone to get stick up front. But uh, I think the composure in the box is also really important, James. And I thought Christian Polanco last match had the comment in the post match that I included that I loved. And it's when we get in the box, when you've got Gordon Gray putting their head down, just firing the ball and you saw what happened during the the goal today. It wasn't that way. You know, Gray was the destination and he finished very well. That's the key. It'd be nice to have someone else in there. And Rondon made a decent run to bring a guy with them to open it up for McNeil a little bit, but like, that's what you want. Someone that can not just hold it up, but come back, receive a ball between the lines and make a play and show some composure in there. Like, don't just get your head down and score. Find your teammates, because I think there's some skill up there. And hopefully we'll have yeah. two or three more attackers coming in with skill, composure in the box, maybe some people that can possess the ball a little bit better. So not everything falls on a Wobie and it'll be more fluid. But I just don't see Solomon Rondon ever quite being part of that. Anyway, yeah, we're beating the point no. into the ground. That also does not mean we need to trash Solomon Rondon. So cut the guy a break. I mean, he's just yeah, sure. not fit for purpose, man. The guy the guy works hard. Just on the goal, I don't want to get too carried away with saying, and it's just one goal, whatever. 
But in terms of just like as a as evidence of a larger point that like we're good at creating goals, we were given the ball two yards outside the 18 and we scored by passing it horizontally where their defense like hadn't adjusted. It wasn't like this magnificent build up play. And we really, when we actually had to build up authentically on our own and weren't just handed the ball, we did struggle. So I think that's a little worrying, but not to say that it wasn't like a good pass for McNeil. Because well, it, it gets from, to Wobie and Wobie. it dies. It's like yeah. a Wobie passes it and then, then what? Yeah, it's true. No, that's true. And, and that, and that is worrying. But again, these guys haven't played a lot together. Now, my bad, I actually didn't want to single out an individual player because I think other than Rondon leading the line, everyone was pretty solid and or didn't really have a lot to do, therefore didn't do enough to be considered bad. My bad is the referee, Tom Reeves. Even with the fouls being so incredibly lopsided at 15 to 3, I still felt like he was way too kind to Fleetwood Town. And I get it. They're a lower league side playing against the big boys in the Premier League. They don't really have many options. They're not going to go toe-to-toe with us and beat us, so you kind of have to get a little dirty. But I would have, and as James Gardner said at the top, they could have had five times as many cards. They had three, so that's 15 yellow cards. So basically every one of their players, in theory, could have had one or a couple guys pick up a second. But I, I looked this guy up because I was curious. And you know, James, actually, the name. I want to interrupt go you ahead. real quick. Um, yeah. The average number of cards in an EFL League One game that I'm looking up here is 10.6. So that's 5.1 for each team. So what's that come out to? What? 7 and 25. Yeah. So actually, he he's is pretty on conservative. The, he's on the low end, which does now make sense. That makes sense. So, yeah, I looked it up. That's that's I mean, I guess that totally makes sense. But I looked it up. The guys have seven total EFL games. I think he has three in League One, two in um, two in League Two, and then three cup matches. And he's handed out 25 yellows in those games, 13 in three League One matches. So with Ryan looking up the averages, it's below. I saw that, and I was like, that is insanely high. I can't believe it. But turns out they're just hacking the crap out of each other down there. It ain't there, the so. Premier League. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so fair play to him. A little conservative. Could have used a little more of that... Uh, willingness to pull the card out of the pocket today but i thought he was just generally poor and could have done a lot better protecting certain guys uh and that's that's really all i have to say ryan as far as man of the match is there any debate that there's anyone besides he will be new himself well i mean i brought up begovich uh damari gray played well i mean there's no question he, he was effective he um if i were to put someone in the running he's definitely in there but no i mean it's the man of the match is and the man of the match has been for us now for quite some time. It's got to be Alex Wobe. Beautiful stuff. Let's get into some uh, listener reactions, comments to wrap this thing up. <laughs> the, I mean, the first we start, couple. <laughs> the first couple are great. I yeah, mean, they're, they're, I mean the, the first, sorry, there are just a couple out here. Um, I don't know if I'm going to do this justice because this is one of those challenges of being on an audio podcast with a photo. But just go check out Columbus Toffees at Columbus Toffees picture where it's a cartoon cat eating popcorn, sitting in a dumpster that is on fire, smoke everywhere. Um, I, 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 did you know my mother, uh, my home mom's side of the family is from Columbus? Do you know? Does she uh, eat popcorn and burning dumpsters? Yes, it's a common thing there, actually. <laughs> um, you know, Cincinnati has chili. Cleveland has uh, lakes that and rivers that, you know, get lit on fire. And uh, <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. No, Columbus is a very nice place. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it was a dumpster fire, but it certainly wasn't the most entertaining match. That's it, for sure. I, I would I would have almost rather watched a dumpster fire. That's like a little exciting. You know, something might explode. You never really know that this was uh, decidedly less 
exciting. Yeah. I mean, for sure. seeing when the, the referee would come out with the card was kind of exciting. Uh, all right. So let's go to Ivan at Ivan the Turrible, as in Charles Barkley, Turrible. Uh, not convincing. So I, I responded. It was a less than convincing one zero win. His comment was not convincing. We scored a goal. What more do you want us to do? Well played. Score two or three would have been nice. But yeah, fair enough. I mean, beggars can't be choosers. We did get our first win of the season today, which I don't know if we've said yet. We then had. Uh, but ahead. though there was one big positive. Yes, we said uh, we had Paul at PhDZ or PhDEZ. I would love to play a game without the significant risk of our players not snapping their legs from every opposition tackle, which, as I said, that's exactly how I felt about Onana. He went down, and when he went down and he was calling for treatment, after it was like his third time getting hacked and actually staying on the ground, I was like, oh, this is the one. This is the one. His leg gone. He's torn his meniscus. He's fractured his ankle, like whatever it is. Um, so that fear, I think, will live long with me uh, for some time and probably Evertonians everywhere. But thankfully, he got up. He managed to carry on somehow and uh, finish the match. So credit to Onana. Yeah, and Sean kind of brings that point home and then brings up another couple points that I definitely think are worth a dialogue. Sean Khan at King Khan 225. Think they hired the referee from a local rugby league today. You didn't look that up, did you, James? No, I did not. Okay, well, so we don't know that for sure, but uh, we're going to say probably not. Professional performance, but incredibly evident we need some incomings in DCL Decore to be healthy. Would also like to have some clarity on what's happening with Alon. Overall, good to get some guys valuable minutes. Let's talk about Alon and let's talk about Bameen. Now, Alon was on the bench last match, but I will say this. I, I remember look watching the TV and seeing Alon on the bench during warm-ups in the second half. And I thought that was weird, you know, just sitting there in those lovely white warm-ups, I must say. Those Beautiful. They're, they're, they're lovely. Um, yeah, so he's just sitting there, kind of motionless, and he looked dejected, depressed. So I didn't know if he was hurt or just, I don't know what's going on with him. Do we think he's on his way out? I mean, he's in the last year of his contract, but I just can't imagine if he's healthy that he couldn't be valuable. And, I mean, what happens if you go get like a young Brazilian or something like that? It seems like he'd be a great mentor or someone to stay. And and Frank needs people that can keep the ball. I would be a little nervous as he left unless he was replaced with someone who was quite good. Unless they're being real. My thought is that they have to just be very cautious bringing him back. I think in terms of obviously our lack of depth in midfield right now, our desperation to get guys fit and a, a player who is as good as Alon is, especially in possession, which we so desperately need. He's worth just letting him see out his contract and leave on a free. Cause you're not going to get a crazy fee for him regardless. And we can't turn it around that fast. I think the player he is now, unless his injury just has rendered him useless. It, I'm baffled that we haven't seen him at all. Hopefully it's just a temporary thing, but I have no doubt in my mind that he adds something immediately to our midfield and, and could really gel well with some of the other guys we have available. I mean, I like some of the young players are being linked to, of course, but ultimately some of these guys don't immediately improve the team. Alon does. So I know he has a year left and look, yes, if Sari comes in from Lazio and says, Hey, you know, here's 10 million pounds for him. Okay. I get it. But otherwise, heck, I would probably extend him for a year for heaven's sakes, because yeah, I think he not? could be an important leader in this team. And and I just think his skill sets make, Makes sense. And you see Anana is not going to quite be there as an eight. And Alon can at least be a backup six. Now, I don't know how well he can be one, but I think in the two, he might do better. I think part of it was Rafa and, and the way we were tactically set up. But anyway, I digress. Um, 
if you can replace him, right, it's fine because he's got a year left. If you could get a fee, I, I totally get that. But trying to replace sure. him with a similar player would be, I think, difficult. Um, let's talk Bameen. about Bameen. Did, I mean, I've seen nothing about him being injured. Nothing about him being injured. No links to him being moved anywhere. So is he just frozen out? Because, I mean, the guy's got to be itching to play. He's finally fit. He obviously had that spell in Russia where he did all right. Is he not good enough to get in our side against Fleetwood Town? I, I don't think that's that's the deal. That can't be the right. deal. He's a good player. I mean, come on. But 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 look, Frank's had time to work with him, and maybe he's decided that he, he wants him out. And, and that's fine. That's okay. Um, I think his book value is... I know I looked it up the other day or did the math on it. I want to say it's like 10 million or something like that. So I, I don't know how much you're going to get from him in terms of fee uh, much more than that. So put it this way, if a Gordon deal happens and we get that big fee and we're good this year from financial fair play standpoint, because you're considering the Moise Keen deal that's going to hit in this fiscal year, even if it's in June, you could probably send him out on loan. He comes back and yeah, he's only got what year or two left in his contract, but it's another year of amortization gone. His book value's lower. You might be able to move him for something. And maybe sure. he's been impaired because of injury and stuff. I don't know, but, and give him a chance to show that he can still play. And look, he was good in Russia. I mean, he was, uh, he just was. And his team setup was a very difficult one. He had to burden a lot of the defensive load in midfield. Um, I mean, God, I think he could have helped today. I mean, and, and Alon is weird too. If he's still worried about his injury, why was he on the bench last week and not this week? Right, right. It's weird, then, man. I don't know what's going on, but um, and the injuries keep piling up because then you got Tom Davies going down, who had actually started rather brightly in his return. So hopefully, look, guys can get hurt in warmups. I get it. Hopefully, it's just a precautionary thing. He felt something and wasn't fit to play, and it's not like a serious injury sustained doing like butt kicks or something like that. Um. Soccer so, tennis. Yeah, exactly. Well, that too soon, Ryan. I know it's been like two years, but too soon. Don't don't go there. Let's go to Pete Rabbit, 68. Uh, should have been more comfortable. The side looked ragged going forward, but given the number of changes in the team, I guess that should be expected. Need to do much better in the future. C-O-Y-B. I mean, yeah, we do need to do much better in the future. But, but the fluidity is a good point. Yeah, it's true. No, it is true. Um, should have been more comfortable and and. You know, these guys get more time together. It's still fairly early. Onana, especially, still very much figuring things out and learning his teammates. So it will improve just as a byproduct of more time, but some new bodies wouldn't hurt, to say the least. Yeah, and I think that's why I kind of like the next comment we threw it in here. EFC class of 85 at EFC class of 85 did what we needed to do. Vinagre, good. Warrington, good. Onana, good. Awobi, gold. Let's talk about Vinagre for a second. Um, 92 touches, led the team. Zero for five in crosses, but I think his delivery looked better than that. Um, yeah. Kind of not on the same page with Rondon a couple times. You know, and he took really good care of the ball. To have 92 touches and only have one bad touch and no other turnovers, pretty impressive. Uh, he was able to get up the pitch a bit. He seems to give us a nice option and offer some things maybe that Mikalinko does not. Yeah, definitely more useful in attack. Um, you know, similarly, I think we've we've been going down the left-hand side quite often, even with Mikalenko in there. So Vinagre kind of slots in there and can get forward a little more pacey, a little better acceleration, and probably better at serving the ball. I think lacks a little bit on the defensive side, but that's we weren't playing a whole lot of defense today. That's so. efficient. Not like no, definitely not. No, definitely not. I, I don't mean to like dismiss that, but I just think. The the reverse is true for Mikolenko, where he's probably defense first, offense second. I think Vinagre probably likes to get forward more. And again, to to be able to plug in and, and command possession and lead the team in touches, 
very impressed and hope to see, you know, it's nice to have a, a true left back option uh, as backup versus slotting in like Ben Godfrey. Yeah, I, I agree. And forget Niels and Kunku is still around. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, think about that, right? You almost like totally forgot about him. But wow, he was almost our backup this season. Well, and look, and we played a flat four uh, in the, you know, when Warrington came in and, and Ruben slotted in just fine next to Tarkowski. So good for him. That was good to see. Um, let's see. SN80 at Stevie Nicks 0812. Got the job done. Our attack was nullified by League One defense. To highlight the lack of goals in this team, just in case anyone on earth was unaware of how bad it was. Really Youngsters look tidy. Yeah, right. Well done to Warrington, who showed us how much we need a six who can receive ball and play. So let's talk about Lewis Warrington for a second before we move to the next comment. Um, I, I thought, James, I thought he looked very good and very composed. I agree completely. Love to see the local lad making his debut. Three successful tackles. Five for six in long balls, that distribution. I mean, really good stuff. 92.6% passing, which was third in the team, obviously with significantly fewer minutes. But who's counting? One shot, a key pass, no turnovers. I mean, very promising early signs. Yeah. And I thought he gave us more control. I thought we were looked better, more solid on the ball. Um, he actually showed some jump too, some bounce in his step too that I was pretty impressed about. I think the structure of the midfield was still a little bit wonky to me. Uh, Wobie was kind of given free reign and it wasn't perfect. I mean, I don't think the orchestration was exactly perfect, but but I thought we did have more control and I thought he added something and it's good to see a player like that do that. And with the uh, seemingly uh, more or, or clo- faster approaching Anthony Gordon departure, we now have another local lad who we can overhype and set unrealistically high oh expectations boy. for. So he slots right into that role as well, which I love to see. Yeah, but either Ryan's way, not. I mean, look, I, no, I mean, hey, I, you know, I saw him play on loan last year and level of, of football wasn't incredibly high, um, but he didn't seem to lose a beat playing with better players today. Yeah. And, and he gave yeah. us a lot of what's needed. And look, we don't have a player that's kind of capable of playing in a somewhat holding role. Uh, and he wasn't a perfect holding midfielder, but he did function as one occasionally. And he came back and there was some nice buildup play with Seamus Coleman in the totally. back and, and springing him a few times. And it was. It was good to see, I, I think, a, a center forward that could really come in and help. Maybe, you know, another midfielder on that side that could help more. Maybe you got something. It just goes to show you that even if he's not the best player right now, to have someone that can play in that role can be a big difference yeah. in the team and trying to execute some of the things Frank wants to do. We also had another youngster come in, and that's one of the reasons why we have this next comment in here, which I also like. Yeah, we had uh, at PDX Toffee. Always nice to see out a result. Lack of end product grows more and more concerning. Was happy to see some youngsters get extended minutes. Welch oozes potential. Speaking of Welch, he was two for three in tackles. A couple one aerials. Led the team in accurate passes with 54 and uh, four clearances. Now, again, not under a great deal of pressure, but looked tidy, looked big. Dude is a tall boy um, and not bad circumstances to get some minutes for the young kid. His feet are pretty good. I mean, to have that yeah. kind of length and still have decent feet. I mean, he's maybe not straightforward fast like a Jared Brantwaith, but but his feet look good. He took some good angles. He was not easy to beat today, 1v1, and he didn't look out of place. Again, his footwork and his passing is noticeably a tick down, but look, he completed all his passes. He wasn't given the ball away necessarily, even if the, the weight and the accuracy wasn't perfect at times. And what a great chance to get him, give him a run. And look, you know, Tark came in and sealed the deal and everything was fine, but... 
I mean, I thought he looked all right. And they were attacking him a lot too. So certainly a learning experience for him. And I mean, he had to be over the moon playing, I would think too. Um, and look, it gives you another guy. If you're going to stick him in the PL two for a little bit and see how he does, it gives you an option. If you're really stuck to call him up and you need that, um, in some capacity. So because we are the team for some reason that everyone always gets injured. So can we talk about this for a second? I, I know you don't want to talk about it, but we need to Seamus Coleman coming back is a big positive, right? I mean, that was good. He Eight. went 90 minutes. Absolutely. Um, re re uh, inventing himself as a right sided center back. Yeah. At least until they made the subs, but look, I mean that that's probably the right role to give him 90 minutes. So he didn't have to sure. jump and down the pitch. Um, made a couple runs at the end and, and looked okay. Um, might even be valuable in a back four um, instead of Patterson if we're not playing wing backs. So it's good to see another option in there for sure. Tom Davies injured in warmups now. I, I don't I don't know what we do here, but this is it's just every single year. I've never seen anything like this. It's been this way now for three consecutive years. And I like this, the latest news on Yeri Mina, where Yeri Mina has traveled back to Colombia to go to see his specialist, his Colombian doctor that was, or the medical team at Deportivo Cali, where he, where he came up playing, he wanted them to look at his current injury. So honestly, I don't blame him, James. No, he, he saw the team at Finch Farm and he's like, you guys have been nothing but trouble for me. I'm out. I'm going back across the pond. I'm going to Colombia. People I actually trust. And with a, for a guy who's had a really promising career completely derailed by injuries, it's hard to blame him for wanting to try something different, a different solution. Because and it's it'd be one thing if you know he was the anomaly, but he's just another data point proving how bad our injuries have been. And he's he's like the kind of become the poster child for it because you know some of these guys at least can stay fit for like a couple months before they get hurt again. But he's in and out of the side and like can't even put in ninety minutes before he gets hurt again. So. I don't know. Hopefully they have some some magical medicine in Colombia that will heal his ankle ligament and get him back sooner. But this this team and look, I don't know. I just don't know what the deal is other than and I don't want to say it because you're going to get mad nope. at me, but curse. Then we need to do the Ted Lasso curse I, curse. I, I just it's almost in, inexplicable at this point. Um, but. Look, I just don't know enough about it to tell what what would be different, what could be done different from a sports science standpoint. We've had a lot of fun on that on the Discord. Sports um, Science Institute, ATP. Right, which I just don't know enough to say, but at some point you got to turn your... We already made some changes in there, which probably weren't even fair. It was just Rafa wanted... I mean, Rafa was supposedly Mr. Sports Science. He didn't help. So I don't think it's a curse, James, but it is pretty darn frustrating for sure. And the thing is, if this team is healthy, they're not bad. We do need some more attacking options, though, and that's the bottom line. So, all right, let's get to brass tack before we wrap it up. Let's we might as well hit the rumors now because God knows what it's going to look like when we come back for the post-match this weekend. So, look, the big one is Anthony Gordon. The rumor is that we turned down a massive deal for... 50 million plus 10 million in add-ons. I don't know how much I believe. So here's the thing we got to always remember. The people that are leaking the information are typically agents and people that want to drive up fees. So I wouldn't trust any of this stuff out there. Like the Morgan Gibbs white came out and saying it was 48 million. Then it was 42 million and then it was 35 million. And then he realized, Oh no, it was 25. So in the same way as Richarlison was 50 million, not really the same way as Awobi was what 40, but it was really 28. So we have to consider those things. So just because that number's out there, it sounds ludicrous to me too, doesn't mean that's really what it is. And we don't know still if it's, a, I don't think it's a financial fair place issue as much as it's a cash flow issue, or maybe it is. I don't know. 
But look, the bottom line is one thing that I'm really tired of hearing talk about is people are like blaming all the mismanagement prior to this point for our need to sell Anthony Gordon. We don't need to sell Anthony Gordon, James. That's not the point, is it? No, but we should if they're offering $60 million for him. That's crazy. I mean, you're. I saw in within the span of five minutes today on the Discord, I saw Chelsea don't want to pay $30 million for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang to, to Barcelona. That's what Barcelona want. And they do want to pay almost $60 million for Anthony Gordon. Even six months ago, that would have just been impossible to consider. And you had a really good tweet about it. And you said, no, we don't need to sell him. But because I don't know exactly what your words were, but the valuation is so far beyond anything reasonable that you are just foolish not to accept it at this point. You're yeah. buying the potential. As as Patty and Greg said in The Athletic, you're, you're buying the potential as much as anything else. And fine, you can take the risk of his potential and maybe he'll he'll reach his ceiling and be a starter for England for the next 10 years. But I'll take the 60 million today and and shake your hand and say, thank you very much. Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's an absolute no brainer deal. We just don't know if that's the actual number, what it is. Now, right. look, maybe we're holding out to try and get Rohan loan, which I wouldn't doubt it because I, I think our recruitment team really, really likes him. I think that's very obvious. I think otherwise they would have moved already. For one of these strikers. Now, there's a rumor that we match the offer to Newcastle for Jao Pedro. Now, Jao Pedro is a very adaptable player. He doesn't necessarily need to be center forward. So that doesn't mean that you wouldn't go with Broha, but maybe then conversely, they go in and try and make a move for Gallagher instead, Mm -hmm. who is a fantastic player who I don't know if he's going to see a lot of time in the current alignment. Now they may, may move Hakan Ziyech, but the bottom line is bro, it's not going to be available unless they get a So right. that's just, they just don't have the numbers and that makes sense. Now, I mean, you saw my one tweet, how we think, you know, Ajax is the other big one where Mohamed Kudis, it came out that we we're really close to it, which obviously we weren't, but clearly we were in negotiation with Ajax about it. And ultimately I think what happened is what always happens. So agent knows the deal is close. He's thinking, you know, I can get a better deal here. Or the club, or the club saying, God, you know, I know this kid is talented. I'll bet you we can drum up more interest. They leak it. Other people jump in. And it looks like Manchester United's expressed interest. Or that's a lazy link because it's Ten Hag and he was at Ajax, which. And they've I, been linked with 9,000 players right. in the last three weeks. So, right. and look, the knows? opportunity to come in and play for Everton immediately is there. Now, he's not a replacement for Gordon. That's the other thing I want to talk about real quickly. We got to stop thinking of that way. I don't know why people think that way. It reminds me of Moneyball, the scene where it's like, we need to replace Jason Jumpy. You know that scene with all the scouts? There's so many good yeah, ones yeah. in that movie. And the reaction is very simple. It's like, is there any first baseman like Jason Giambi? They're like, no, no, not really. Then what are we talking about, man? Like, that's Billy Bean's point. And he's right. You don't need to replace Richarlison, for example. You just need to make the team better. That, that's all. It, do- it doesn't have to be that guy. In fact, Frank didn't buy him. So maybe he has a different vision of what that position or another position could be. And Anthony Gordon, as far as I'm concerned, isn't a really strong player right now in the Premier League. I know people don't want to hear that, but if he's a relatively average player, you could replace him. If all you had to do was replace Anthony Gordon right now in this current team, you could buy a Dressagana guy, put him in the middle, move Alex Awobi out left, and I think you've improved. Yeah. So, I mean, right. So, right. I mean, I don't think replacing Anthony is the goal. The goal, however, is if you can take those proceeds, I mean, you could get an impact player out there. Like, Easily. I know it's late in the window, right? That's the big concern. But that's the thing. Right. But still, you're still talking about replacing, not replacing, improving upon the collective production of the team from Anthony Gordon's current contributions. 
which I don't think is hard to do. You could get a couple players. We need a couple attacking players, move it. And you could even bank some of that from a financial fair play standpoint. And going into next summer where you really have time, can work on players, you could have a couple stud center halves ready to go. The second the window opens, you could have that young six already ready to go, which is hard to do right now. So I understand people have a risk or a feeling that, oh no, we're not going to be able to use all this money before the end of the window. That's okay. We're not going to win the Champions League this year. That's true, but I think people, I, th- I don't think that's the concern. I think the concern is we sell him and then we get relegated as a result. And I don't think that that makes a whole lot of sense, but I do think that if we don't get a couple of guys in before the window closes, we're going to be in a fight because I don't think the team right now is that good unless we're fully healthy, which I'm not betting a cent on us being fully healthy at any point this season based on history. True. But I, I don't think there's any chance that we don't get in at least three more players. Okay. I, well, I, I will. Uh, I, I mean, I share your level of optimism and I think that's fair, but to, to the, other point of view is well if, if we don't get in three players then we're and we sell and we have that 60 million sitting in the bank or you know whatever it is 50 say say 40 even well then that that does us no good in the next six months when we actually have to put points on the board that we haven't really shown too much of an ability to do i know then. but replacing him as an individual is yeah not a I, big I, deal. That, I think that's a good point it's not like a puzzle piece where you lose the piece and you have to find the exact same shape right it can be very different types of things. So, but I think even beyond that too, I think there's the one last point I'll make is there's this focus that we're giving him up. We're giving up on youth. That is the silliest argument. I don't get that. You could take the money, invest in young players too, that are probably more capable than him now. And, and if you can do that, if you can do that, it's almost a form of arbitrage because you're getting such a crazy fee for him. And look, Chelsea, maybe have a very explicit role for him. There's rumor is they're going to make him a wing back. They need English players because they've had so many international players. And may- maybe to them, they have all the money in the world and he's a really valuable piece and that's great. And maybe that will benefit us and that's fine. But I just, I don't think anyone should be upset about losing Anthony Gordon. I know he's local. I get it. He didn't grow up as an Everton fan though, might add. Um, I'm careful. pretty sure he's a red. No, you're right. Yeah, no, you're so, right. And then that's fine. That doesn't really matter. Like, oh, you know, yeah, you okay. want to, well, you want to bring people out of the academy and then have them do well. I get it. But it doesn't mean you can't replace him with players that are better, just as young and just as capable. Like if we could take that money and then buy Jao Pedro for thirty-five million, are you kidding? I'll take it. I'll take it. I think that's uh, and then three and we'll more. See what happens. happens? Yeah, we'll see what happens. It, but anyway, that, that's just my take. I mean, I, I don't know what thoughts you have. I'm sure you're as concerned as I am that the players haven't come in yet, right? Yeah, it's just every day we're waiting for some final news. We're hearing everything about deals are close, agents are talking, clubs are negotiating everyone seems to want to play hardball until the deadline and i'll just feel much more comfortable and sleep much better when i know that we see the con picture with contract dave we get the introduction video with the whatever edm music in the background and the funny purple lights and we've got the you know whatever they did for dwight mcneil (laughs) we get the unveiling and we know for a fact that these players are in the door i mean again the ghana thing we've been talking about for nearly three weeks that that thing is still nothing it's not worth commenting on at this point it's just no we won't we won't we won't even go down there but you see my point is like, Hey, we're time's running short. And I'm sure, you know, no one is more acutely aware of that than Kevin Thelwell at this very (laughs) moment in time. I'm sure he's not sleeping very much, but as fans, we're all, we don't also, we have got maybe 10% at most of the information that Thelwell has. So hopefully he's uh, sleeping when he does sleep a little better than us as fans are right now, knowing that we've got these deals lined up and we'll get them over the line. So first things first on the next round of the gummy bear cup, um, 
Second thing, second though, question. Are you optimistic? How do you feel? When we're talking again after the next match, did we have some business done? Do you think well oh do you think we'll have some business done? Yes, yes. I think um I think by Saturday, I bet that Gordon will be out the door, and I bet that a certain PSG midfielder will be in at the very least, and there will be some other deals shaping up quite nicely. I feel semi-confident in that, and I'm optimistic for it, to, at least, at the very least. I'll say this. If we get a Mokuda steal done, I'm definitely getting a Kudus jersey. Okay. Well, I'll hold you to that. We will... Uh... I'll see you on this very podcast, probably wearing it. Which one are you going to get? You're going to get the third one. You're going to get the home one. I don't know. I like. Okay. I kind of like the yellow. I have to admit. I I, I kind of like it as well. Not going to lie. Um, but that's a good place to end the show for today. Thank you, everyone, very much for tuning in. As we said at the top, if you enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to join our Discord, invite.gg/atp. It's in the description. If you want to find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at USA Toffee Pod, give us a follow. Otherwise, we'll be with you following Brentford. Hopefully a win. Until then, up the toffees.